I want to share another message in the series called God Touched. It's a series on the supernatural life of the prophet Elisha. And we are about, I think, three or four messages into this. And this morning, um, let's just see what the Lord does. I don't want to predict. I'll be very honest with you. I usually think I know what the Lord's going to do with the message. And I'm sometimes right. This morning, I not only don't know, I wouldn't even want to risk it. I just feel like there is so much available across the spectrum today. And I love it when we get to focus in the scripture where one of the main characters is a woman. Um, I, I love the fact that the Bible, Christianity in particular, elevates women, and especially at the time when the Bible was being written in the New Testament, that literally Christianity, Jesus Christ, is the one who broke through the social barriers and the, the shackles on the daughters of God, and he brought equality between the genders. And it's very ironic to me that now Christianity in the 21st century is seen as a force of suppression on women, as if the, that Christian, biblical Christianity, keeps women suppressed or oppressed. Not so. Had it not been for the Son of God coming to earth and dying, living, dying, rising, and then showing himself alive and then empowering the church, there would be a high likelihood of women across the globe today being enslaved in ways that are a little different from the way they were enslaved in the first century. And so when we get to focus on a woman in Scripture, and especially after so many of the daughters of God were up in D.C. a couple of weekends ago, I guess it may have even been this past week, my calendar's kind of muddled right now. So many just pressing in and having the stirring within them and saying, I've got to find an outlet for this. I feel your pain, sister. I hope that all of us as believers have God doing so much inside of us that we don't feel like we have an adequate outlet for it. It's good. That's the nature of being spilling. You know what it means to be spilled? It means that which is constantly full and constantly overflowing. That's what it means to be spilled. And so if your heart is full as a daughter of God today, um, I hope that you will just receive the dignity that this passage of Scripture places on this woman. By the way, she's so important in the life of Elisha that we're going to have two more messages about her because she just, she rocks, okay? That's not the Hebrew, but that's true. She rocks. So let's look in the Word of God together. 2 Kings chapter number 4, verse number 8, the Bible says, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. Oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived. And she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. What do you think's impossible? What do you think's impossible in your life? Do we believe that God is obligated to bless all people equally? 
Careful. Let me answer the question that I ask. You may believe it, but it's not true. God is not obligated to bless all people equally, and I'll strengthen it. He doesn't bless all people equally. I know that cuts cross grain against the everybody gets a trophy generation. God doesn't play that. We can study the judgment seat of Christ, and this is what you find out. There are different, different levels of eternal reward. Not everybody gets the first place. That literally, a lot of what we experience of the Lord, although I am a big proponent of grace, I make people uncomfortable at times by how much I magnify the sovereign grace of God. But that is never meant to be interpreted that, well, it doesn't matter what we do because... After all, God's sovereign. I want to tell you what I believe, and I believe because, not only of my experience, but because of what I see in the Word. I believe that there is blessing awaiting you that you will only get to experience if you respond properly to the person and the work of God in your life. Doesn't mean he'll ever quit loving you if you don't respond properly. It doesn't mean he'll love you more if you do respond properly. It does mean that there are precious things in the kingdom that God does not cast about casually, but they are reserved for those who get his heart and become his hands in the earth. We all want blessing. Raise your hand if you don't want blessing. Right. Not a, not a hand in here, and if you did raise your hand... Dustin has some open counseling appointments this week, and we will squeeze you in. We all want to be blessed. It would be wrong not to be uh, desiring blessing from God. But I don't know that we all want it to the extent to where we will press into him that we might experience it. This lady stands out in the life of Elisha. She pops in and out of his life in three different seasons. The first one that we're going to look at today in this message that I've called Building Up Through Blessing Others. This is a message that anybody can walk in. Anybody. But it's a message that is going to require some activity of faith prior to the blessing coming. And so let's learn from this dear sister's life. Let's, let's start out in verses 8 and 9. I'm going to title her here as we're introduced to her. Her name's never given. We don't know her name. But she is a woman of material substance and spiritual wealth. This is a woman with material substance. She is loaded, and she's also loaded spiritually. She's got a heart that beats in rhythm with her God. The first thing I notice about her is this, that she was a big fish in a little pond. In verse number 8, it tells us that Elisha, the prophet, the anointed spokesman for God, was walking into Shunem. And Shunem is a very small city belonging in the territory of the tribe of Issachar. And the Bible says that in that little city, there's this wealthy woman. So it's an unimpressive city. It's not an amazing one. There aren't people that are really, really wanting to save up money so they can go to Shunem for a five-day vacation. There's really not a whole lot there. It's small by comparison to some of the other cities. We know that from history and ancient, um, um, you know, um, sociology where they talked about what was going on in different cities at different times. But right in the midst of this little city, there's a big woman. This is a woman who has done something in life to the extent where she is equated by the Holy Spirit in 2 Kings 4, 8 as being wealthy. When God describes a person as being wealthy, I want you to know he's not making any mistakes. There was something about her that she had progressed. Maybe she's like that Proverbs 31. Maybe somebody read her those words when she was a child and and she heard about that entrepreneurial woman in Proverbs 31 who put her hand to the work and earned money and had her own business and even spilled over in favor to her children and her husband. And and she made his name look good and made a name for herself. Maybe something stirred in her heart. Not every woman in that day would have wanted to do that, but there's something that happened with this woman. And the Bible never says she was married to a wealthy man. The Bible says she was a wealthy woman. So something about her life had, uh, had resulted in promotion horizontally. She was blessed. Let me just say this. Um, we live in a day and age where wealth in the church is often looked on with suspicion. 
Matter of fact, we live in such a hostile environment culturally where there is this class warfare where rich people are naturally presumed to be lazy. They inherited it all. They didn't work for it. They didn't scrap for it. They didn't sacrifice for it, but they had it on easy street. And there can be this class warfare. And, and then even in the church, there are people that are like, well, she drives a nice car. She lives in a nice house. She wears nice clothes. She's got a coach purse. What in the world? And, you know, people get in an uproar when somebody has nice things. But the Bible never speaks negatively about wealth in and of itself. It just says, don't start loving it. Don't ever be owned by it. Don't start serving it because to the degree you serve it, you won't want to serve God anymore. And so wealth is amoral. It's not immoral. And this woman not only had wealth, but she had God. And so when we look at her in this, go down further into verse 8. She not only was a big fish in a little pond, but she had a big heart with an open hand. In verse 8, she says of her concerning Elijah that, or Elisha, she urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. Okay, if you're new to the study on Elisha, so Elisha's the prophet. He's got a double per- portion of anointing on him. He's operating in twice the power of God already that was seen on the life of Elijah. He wanted it, he prioritized it, he asked for it, and boom, he got it. So he is walking in a high level of anointing, and his name is being made known at the beginning of his ministry. And as he traveled itinerantly, he would pass by this area of Shunem, and this lady began to watch, and she began to realize this is the prophet. And this is what they do to preachers, by the way. They're like, can't we feed you? Most preachers started out skinny. I've got pictures to prove it, man. And so they wanted to, she wanted to love on him. And so she thought, well, let's bring him into our house. Let's honor. This is a message primarily, by the way, just in case I don't get this clearly out. This is a message about honoring others and the reward that God gives when we live lives of honoring others. This is not primarily about wealth or money. This is a heart issue. This is about our attitudes toward other people. And if we see them in existence as being primarily for us, or if we see us being primarily for them. And this issue of honor is something that for two and a half years, God has been drilling and weaving and and covering my heart in. Literally at times when in in conflict saying, Lord, I'm praying imprecatory psalms down like, Lord, take care of my enemy. Take care of my opponent. Take care of this one who doesn't have my best interest at heart. And the Lord says, I'm going to take care of all that. But what I'm requiring of you is I want you to learn how to honor that person. And as, as you enter into that, there is something that is unlocked in the kingdom on your behalf. When you enter into an intentional commitment to honor other people, if you don't think it's biblical, let me just remind you what Paul wrote in the book of Philippians chapter number two. He said, let each of you esteem others better than himself. That's honor. That's what honor is. It means I'm not the focus. I'm not the, the one around whom everybody else must orbit. That literally I stop that orbit, I put somebody else in the center, and I, I make my life about honoring others. And this woman did it, and she wanted to do it by feeding the prophet, something as simple as that. And so the Bible says, whenever Elisha passed through that way, he learned where he could get a good meal. And so he was smart enough to receive honor that somebody else was putting on him. That's another little temptation. Oh, I don't don't ever want to have anybody honor me, and we, we don't let people bless us. And so you've got these two extremes. The one, the potential to be one who never wants to bless others and always wants to be the blessing, or the opposite side of the spectrum is when people want to bless you, you say, oh, no, 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 in some kind of false humility. Ultimately, we need to be both. We get to be the source of blessing, And then we get to be the recipients of blessing. But I'm here to share this with you. The onus is always on us to begin the process by becoming the one who blesses. That we say, I'm not going to wait on somebody to bless me. I'm going to become the the conduit of blessing into their life from God. So I'm going to honor other people. Well, let's go further and let's see what it looks like. Because she's about to get her husband in on this thing. So she had a big heart. She's got an open hand. She's a rich woman. Elisha's getting fat, and now we go into verses 9 and 10. She practiced spiritual insight and common sense. I love this blend. Spiritual insight and common sense. Verse 9. She said to her husband, looky here. That's how I would have said it. Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God 
who is continually passing our way. Watch verse 10. Let's make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Now watch this. I love this. Now remember, Elisha has been walking about like Jesus would later do. He's walking about doing good. He's healing people, he's preaching, he's prophesying, he's going to do some incredible miracles. He's already shown himself as having the power of God over forces of nature where he he brought healing to a a foul spring, he made an axe head to float, he he cured a bad batch of stew, mushroom stew, that was causing the guys to fall out sick. And so he's already shown himself as having the power of God over the natural. We're going to see in this woman's story later on that Elisha is going to show himself as having the power over death. So he is operating in the spirit and the will of God. And God says, I'm going to give you favor, Elisha. I'm going to give you favor by raising up a wealthy benefactor. And not only is she going to feed you when you're passing through town, but you're about to get your own little room over at that house. Now, I want you to think about this because it doesn't read all that impressive in, in our Bible. But this is the equivalent of our day of somebody with a nice house saying, you know what? Let's clear out the basement down there, move all those boxes. Let's put in some studs. Let's put in some drywall. Let's put in some plumbing. Let's get a bathroom over there. And then let's furnish it completely, put a stove, a refrigerator, a microwave, a big screen TV. And let's make sure that when Elisha comes into town, he doesn't have to worry about anything. She says to her husband, hey, I really think we ought to bless this guy. Now, it's very interesting the husband hadn't said a word. We don't know what's up with hubby. But, but we do see that the sister has the heartbeat of God going in her. I, I, I remember hearing of a preacher that was going through a very difficult time, battling in his ministry with envy, discouragement. He, was, he was, felt like he was doing everything he could do for the Lord, and nothing was going anywhere. And he read this passage, and I, I remember what he wrote. He said that in this season of his life, he was saying to the Lord, Lord, nobody's ever done that for me. Lord, nobody ever makes me meals. Lord, how come nobody ever sets me up with a a room, a table, a getaway? How come I'm not blessed like that? Lord, I'm serving. I'm trying to do all of these things. Why doesn't anybody do that for me? And he said, the Lord said to him, here's the better question. Why doesn't anybody call you the holy man of God like she called Elisha? You see, my friends, I want want to draw a, a, a connection there. You see, the lady says, first, I know the man I'm observing is a holy man of God and we need to help him, we need to bless him. I don't think if Elijah was just some vagabond, some dude skipping through town, or maybe he was a religious huckster, or, or operating in the flesh, or going towards all the, the carnal ways of the false prophets that were still dotting the landscape at that point, I don't think this lady's heart would have been moved, and let me tell you why. I believe God moved her heart to help Elisha, and the reason why God moved her heart to help Elisha was because that he's a holy man of God doing the work of God, and this lady wants to bless him because God wants to bless him through her. Some of us in the kingdom can move in and out of both positions. Some of you may be an Elisha. You may be somebody whose heart is so burning for Jesus that you're hungering, you're thirsting, you're pressing in. You're not looking to to have things orbit around you, but God has been watching you. The Bible says that the Lord declared that the eyes, his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are right with him. So the the image we've got to get is this, that God is literally scanning the earth, not because he's not omniscient, this is just the way it's painted in scripture, that his eyes are scanning the earth saying, who can I bless? Whose heart is right with me? Who can I trust with this blessing? Who can I come into contact with? And some of you need to go ahead and stop listening to the enemy and start listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to the Bible and recognize that God reserves the right to bless you even if you don't think you're worthy. And this orphan spirit that continues to strangle people in the kingdom, that the enemy, if you're going to ask me what is the the strongest uh, finger of grip that the enemy has on Christians right now, it's he tries to keep them in this orphan spirit because their, their physical family was jacked up. And their earthly mother or father didn't love them or or validate them. And so now they've come into the kingdom and they feel like, wow, uh, I've been put on probation. Hallelujah. And God says, probation? I don't do probation. I pardoned you. And more than that, I made you my son, my daughter. You're with me. 
And so the enemy wants to whisper, you're still an orphan. You're still an orphan. You're still an orphan. And one of the, one of the traits of that is then when, when we're confronted in love and we're told that your father in heaven has a heart to deeply enrich and bless you, we're like, yeah, we believe that's true in the Bible, but that's for the other girl. That's for the other guy. I just want to bust into all the lies and just say, no, it's actually for you if you're walking with them. It's actually for you. And so she sets this thing up. Let me give you a couple of, of just quotes. Um, Corey Ten Boom, who is just a hero of the faith, she's in heaven now. She said this, the measure of a life after all is not its duration, but it's a donation. In other words, it's not how long we make it down here. It's who did we pour into while we were here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, for the thinkers in the room, said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. When, when it comes to our lives, and I'm not, look, we already took up the offering, so I'm not trying to get into your wallet, but what I am trying to do is just to let, just, let's just be reminded that our life is not really supposed to be how much can we get out of it. We're not here as holy siphons, trying to siphon up as much of the horizontal as we can. That's not why we're here. We're actually on, we're, we're the conduit, we're the pipe. That if we'll open up on the God end where he can pour in, he will open us up on the spout end where we pour out on others. And that is the life, by the way, that is the most enriching, the most fulfilling, it is the most blessed, it is the most anointed, it is the most purpose-filled, it is the most meaningful. Why? Because you're actually functioning in the spirit of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus always did those things which pleased the Father. He, he said what he heard the Father saying. He did what he saw the Father doing in his earthly life. He came to represent, to be the vehicle by which people could know the Father. So he's constantly yielded to the Father. And he said to the Father, I, I'm saying this, what I'm saying right now. I'm praying this prayer. I know that you always hear me, but I want them to know that you always hear me. He was in constant fellowship with the Lord. That end of the pipe was open for Jesus, and yet what did he do? The Father poured through that life. Jesus being divine, being the Son of God, of course. But listen, from the human aspect of it, he was Son of Man too. Jesus just went about doing good. And, and at the end of his life, all of those that he did good to, cried out in a maddened throng, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus' call back was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And ultimately, when he emerged from the tomb and he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs and he showed to them that he was the risen son of God and he ascended back to heaven, he's still pouring into us because the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for me and you. So you woke up this morning, you didn't hear a word, but Jesus was praying for you. He was interceding for you. He has your name written on the palms of his hands. And so, friends, when we enter into this lifestyle of saying, I want to be open to God and whatever he wants to do, I want you to pour through me whatever you want to pour through me. And, Lord, just aim the spout wherever you want to go because I want to bless who you want to bless. That was the life of this woman. Corey Ten Boom, she says, it's not the duration of your life. It's the donation your life needs to outlive you. Your impact needs to outlive you. Your anointing needs to outlive you. We'll come to the last message in this series is called an anointing that outlives you. Do you know Elisha was ministering when he was dead? They threw somebody's bones in his graves and they touched his bones and that person came alive. His anointing outlived him. He was dead and in heaven, but his bones still held the anointing. That's a little much for you. I know we used to be Baptists, so forgive me. Let's go down into verses 11 through 16. So here's Elisha. Elisha doesn't have a lot. He's a man of limited substance, but he's a man of a grateful heart. He doesn't have a lot, but man, he's grateful. So let's look at a little bit from his life. I'm going to give you this first point that's a slight departure from the thread we're on right now, but I think it's important. In his life, we see the need to highly esteem the benefit of rest. Look at verse number 11. So Elisha, one day he comes there to Shunem, and he turned into the chamber 
and he rested there. And the Bible says that he called to Gehazi a servant, call this Shunammite, and when he had called her, she stood before him. Okay, let's, let's use our sanctified imagination. So Elisha is doing what prophets do. He's proclaiming, he's functioning in the miraculous, he doesn't have a home, he doesn't have a place to stay, he's constantly dependent on the Lord to provide, and God has given him favor with this couple, primarily this wife, this wealthy woman. She has built out a room on the roof where he can come at any time. It's like the Holiday Inn, man. He can just come in there when everyone, it's all for him. He's got a bed he can sleep on. He's got a table he can either eat at or write at or in a chair to sit in. It's just, it's a great place for him. So he's got all of this favor. And yet when he comes through with all of the work that was needed in Israel at that time, I mean, there were kings that needed to be rebuked. There were sinners that needed to be converted. There were the sick that needed to be healed. There there were the the apostates that needed to be confronted. uh, Prophets did that all the time. And so as he's coming into town, what does Elisha do? He has the audacity to rest. To rest. He comes in in the midst of a whirlwind of things that needed to be done in the kingdom. He gets a good meal from Sister Shunammite. And then he says, if you don't mind, I'm going to go upstairs in that awesome room you made me. And I'm just going to rest a little. Let me just pause here for a minute. Amy and I talk about this so often. I stay. I'll let my body rest. My mind never turns off. And I go home every day to the most peaceful human being I have ever met who can click on her mind when she needs to. She can click it off when she's never bothered. She's never stressed. I'm telling you, it's the truth. Maybe not never, but almost never. And she, I I walk in and the Lord says, I married you to her in part because you still don't know peace like my daughter Amy knows peace. And I walk in and I'll be rehearsing the day and the the pressures and the needs and the the scope of what I'm dealing with. And I'll go, it's just like, it's like, and she'll just like pat my hand and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm, I'm trying to get her to enter into my frenzy. And she's like, oh, I, I don't do frenzy. <laughs> That's not me. That's not me. It doesn't need to be you. But I love you. I love you. Well, what's my point? Um, I'm married to a woman that knows how to rest. Some of you are people that know how to rest in the kingdom. There's a lot of us that need to learn how to rest. Because the church applauds the frenzy. The church uh, I mean, could you imagine it? One of my nightmares I had years ago was my kids standing around my grave and my tombstone said, he sure was busy. Real dream. Panicky moment. That at the end of our life, that that would be our testimony. Man, we sure were busy. And yet we live in a culture, and even in the church culture, it's like, wow, burn them out. Ground them down, run them into the ground. Ministries, women's ministry, men's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. Serve, 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 serve. And when they collapse, take them away. Get the next batch in. Serve, 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 serve. I love the fact that the primary prophet in Israel at this juncture was a man who didn't, didn't give a, a long preface. He didn't give a, you know, a speech about why rest was important. He just, he just goes up, and the Bible says that he laid down. He just rested there. Interestingly, in the midst of that rest, and this is what I'm trying to get at, something happened. Something happened because the next thing we read is, where's that lady that has been such a blessing to me? Gehazi? Will you go downstairs and call the Shunammite? What happened? Rested hearts connect with gratitude. Rested hearts hear the voice of the Lord saying, you've got a lot to be grateful for. I don't need you to burn yourself out. I took care of you. I'm going to take care of you. You're a holy man of God. I made you that way, but you're not my son, Jesus. By the way, that's not even fair. The Bible depicts Jesus in the Gospels on more than one occasion as being tired and resting and looking at the crowd and saying, 
I got to get away for a little bit. Now, I know you're spiritual, sir. I know you're a kingdom man. I know, thou woman of God, that you have so much to offer the world, but you are not stronger than Jesus. And Jesus had to come apart, lest he come apart. You heard that one before. Elisha rested. I think, you know, just boldly, I don't even think this is prophetic. I just think this is reasonable. Um, Some of you just need to go ahead and rest. Say, well, Jeff, give us something spiritual. Rest is spiritual. Say, I don't think so. Well, you're going to have to take that up with the Lord because he rested. Not for the same reasons that we rest, but he ceased from his labors in the creation. He rested, declared it was good, and, and gave a divine exhale. The thing that means so much to me about this is it's in those intentional seasons of rest where your heart gets back in rhythm with the Lord. Yes, the Lord is busy. Yes, we will serve the Lord. Yes, we need to live lives that are sacrificial. Absolutely, all of that's true. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I'm going to tell you something. Some people hide from intimacy in their activity. They hide from intimacy with God in their activity for God. And the church is just like, bravo. Uh, I will tell you, we're committed here, Dustin and I. We're committed here to helping you learn both how to serve and how to rest. And rest is primarily a heart issue, but it also involves your calendar, your clock, your mind, and your body. I'm going to go ahead and say this, and maybe you can wrestle with the Lord through it. I think you ought to have at least a half day every week, you know, at least a half day, where you just tune out. You just say no to everything. You just get quiet. You get still. And you just say, the world, I just think the Lord of the world might continue to spin on its axis without me for 12 hours. I just think the cosmos won't crumble if I take a day off. And so, friends, we need to encourage each other with that. Why? Because rested minds are grateful minds. And grateful minds, grateful hearts, however you want to say it, are the ones that bring the richness to the kingdom. Uh, my family deserves a grateful dad. I'm, forgive me, I feel like I'm confessing and processing all at the same time, but it's true. You deserve, you deserve to have a grateful pastors and leaders. And if we're going and going and going and going all the time, y'all may think we're supermen, but our families have to drink the bitter aftermath of that. And then eventually the church has to give it. Pastors quit at an epidemic level, and the reason why is because they burn themselves out, and churches know that there's another dude or another lady waiting in the wings. Elisha just said, I'm going to go up there and rest, and somewhere, whether it was a day, two days, I don't know, somewhere in there, God took his mind, and he says, I want to use you in the life of the one who blessed you. So follow me, but let me give you this, let me give you this, I'm sorry. This will sting a little bit, but I didn't say it, but I am going to harness it. Watchman Nee said this. Carnal Christians crave works, yet amid many labors, they are unable to maintain calm in their spirit. They cannot fulfill God's orders quietly as can spiritual believers. Their hearts are governed by outward matters. Being distracted with much serving is the characteristic of the work of any soulish believer. Watch his conclusion. They have not yet entered the rest of God. He's tough. I just want, I just want you to, to receive this. What, what would happen in your relationship with the Lord and with others if you just really chose to believe that nobody's keeping score on you? That he's actually not following you around with a clipboard and a checklist. Good one, good one, good one. Uh, he erases it. Not so good. And you're living under the pressure, or maybe it's not God, maybe it's, maybe it's family. Maybe it's the people you go to church with or the people you work with or some, some past religious leader's voice who covered you in guilt like tar. And it's still, you still haven't let the Lord peel that off of you. I, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'm, I'm confident in this. The Lord will love me if I never preach another sermon as much as he loves me right now. If I never write another blog... If I never finished the book that I was supposed to finish three years ago, he's still going to love me. So we're not talking about love, but one of the things that I do want to harness, and we're going to get right back on it, is this issue of blessing. You're not going to earn blessing per se. 
Friends, it is not that it's a barter system. It is in the process of living for the Lord and the process of serving the Lord and the process of resting in the Lord that that intimacy grows, and that's the greatest prize. And in that intimacy, you, are, you find yourself having access to so many other blessings. Pray a bold prayer. God, don't bless me above the level of my intimacy with you. Pray it. He'll answer it, and it'll be a really good thing. But automatically, when we hear that, we're saying, well, wait a minute. I, I, I don't want to miss out on the blessing. Well, do we want to miss out on the intimacy? See, that's what the Father's doing. The Father is doing in this generation a, a reorienting of the hearts of the children to Father God. He's turning our hearts to him where we have been so consumed with the activity horizontally and the frenzy and the systems and the religion and the mega this, mega that, this conference, that conference and all that, and getting us all worked up into this. And then ultimately we're doing all of this activity potentially without having a heart that's in rhythm with the fathers. And so what he's doing is saying, hey, look, I want you to serve. I want to run with you. I want you to run with me. This is going to be great. But I want to make sure that you and I are singing the same song, and I want us to do it harmoniously. I have my part. I'll sing lead. Your life will sing one of the other parts. And it's in that intimacy that beauty comes into the spirit. So back to the text. Are you all still with me? Look at what he does. And this is what we can do. Make yourself available to do what you can for others. So verse number 13. So he's talking through Gehazi, his servant. I don't know why he's doing this. He's not speaking directly to her. It's probably an issue of decorum back then. And he said, he says to Gehazi, say now to her, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? And he suggests a couple of things. How about I speak a word on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And, and, and she answered, I dwell among my own people, which makes very little sense to you and me. So let me kind of uh, export it into 21st century communication. So Elisha's saying, you, you've been so, so good to me and to my servant Gehazi. Thank you for this place and the food, and I've never done anything for you. And I've been resting here, and I've been just hearing the, the heart of the Father, and his heart is for you. You've been a blessing. I sense that he wants to bless you. How can I help you, sister? And, and, you know, he does what men do. We we think we know what the women want. And we're usually wrong. And he says, how about I get you a meeting with the king? Captain of the army, maybe? Now, Elisha's anointed, but he's still, you can be anointed and you still ain't going to figure out women, brother. It's just (laughs) not going to happen. That's that's not going to happen. Thank you, ladies, for laughing at that. That could have been misinterpreted, but it's, it's true. And her answer is, I dwell among my own people. And she's saying, in essence, she's saying, hey, I've, I've got everything I need right here at home. She's like, I, I don't need the king. I don't need the army. By the way, a little bit later on in her story, she's going to actually need what he offered. So put that in your pocket, and we'll come back to it in a few weeks. This is actually going to be prophetically something that opens up later in her life. But in that season, she said, no, I I just don't need that. So here's Elisha trying to do what he can for her. Now, when we're talking about being a blessing, friends, you may not be able to be all things to all people. Maybe you're not in a season where you can be in a financial place to bless somebody financially maybe you don't have a a lot of money right now, but you've got time. And so maybe your time is what the Lord is calling you to invest. Maybe you don't have time. A lot of people don't have time, but they're doing okay financially. They can't go maybe overseas to establish a church or to visit a missionary, but they can send support. And it doesn't have to be overseas. It doesn't have to be grandiose. But maybe you're blessed and you're in a financial season where you can do something, maybe through your church, maybe through a parachurch ministry, maybe through just a relationship where your left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and you're that secret blessing agent and you go around and you just bless people anonymously, listen, God smiles on that. Maybe you have a a spiritual gift, and God wants to use, you don't have money, you don't have a lot of time, but you have an intuition and a sense about you, and God speaks to you, and you have a burden for somebody. Maybe it's that crabby person at work. I said crabby, watch it. Crabby person at work. Maybe it's the, the difficult person in the family. 
Maybe it's somebody that, that nobody else wants to talk to, but what you're sensing is, man, I feel God's, I feel the Father's love for her. I feel the Father's compassion for him. Everybody else thinks that person's a jerk, but I see that person as hurt. And so you use your words and you build them up. I'm just saying there are many things that we can do. We don't need greater opportunity. We need greater awareness. And so he's given her all this stuff through Gehazi. And Gehazi is saying, yeah, she said no thanks. So verse number 14. If you can't bless others materially, which he couldn't do. He couldn't give her anything. She was loaded. He wasn't. If you can't bless others materially, invest in them spiritually. Here, watch this. He says to Gehazi, what then is to be done for her? Look at that. He said, she's telling me no what I suggest. I'm going to bless this lady is what he's saying. She is not going to leave this day without me blessing her. That's how big his desire was to pour something good out on other people. That's, he wanted to honor her. And so Gehazi answers, well, she has no son. And she's married to an older man. And I, I just see it like this. Elisha's like, call her. That's what it says. Now, it doesn't say he did that, but I think cinematically sometimes. And so I'm just like, Elisha's like, I got this. I got this. So we don't know exactly what transpired between him and the father at that point. But I do know this. Elisha's ministry, more so than any other person in the Old Testament, is characterized by prophetic words and words of knowledge. And I'll repeat this over and over. Matter of fact, next Wednesday's message that should have been preached last Wednesday will be a message on winning through words of knowledge. That he, this brother heard God. So my guess is that he's not just winging it here, but instantly he, he's, his mind galvanizes around the reality that God wants to bless this couple with a baby. And it's, it's, it's obviously it hasn't happened up to that point. She appears to be younger than her husband, who is defined as an older man. And for whatever reason, up to this point, they haven't conceived. And that obviously was something that she wanted to do based on her response in a minute. And so Elisha's like, a, a silver and gold have I none, but I can help you with the baby thing. And so he, he, he tells the woman, come here, or Gehazi does. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. I just I, Listen, again, it's honor. They are so honoring with each other that she in the presence of a holy man of God doesn't come casually, flippantly strutting in there, that there's this honor. And she knows Elisha is the representative of God to the people of Israel, that, that she has opened up her house, but that still hasn't bred a casual uh, demeanor with her. She wants to honor. She's been summoned by the prophet. And so she stands outside the doorway and he speaks to her. And he says, about this time next year, you're going to have a baby boy. My friend, I want to tell you, as one who pursues deeper proficiency in spiritual gifts, and I, as many of you have, I, I have given and stewarded prophetic words and words of knowledge, and I'm going to tell you, every time I do it, I, I can only do it if I know there's an anointing for it. It is foolish and dangerous to speak words this specific to somebody unless you are absolutely convinced the Lord is doing it through you. And so I, I, I really, I've never told anybody you're about to have a baby. I've never gone that specific. Elisha did. And I believe that it is because as one who was yielded to God in such a desire to bless this woman, that in the moment that prophetic unction that was on him received that understanding that God wanted this woman to have a baby. And so out of his mouth it came. He spoke to her very specifically. He says, about this time next year, you're going to be nursing. You're going to be changing diapers. You're going to be getting up in the middle of the night. Elisha's probably like, yeah, and I will not be staying upstairs until that baby, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> But watch this. The, she honored him with what she could. He received it humbly and gratefully. In a season where he came apart from the demands of his life and just rested, he was able to hear the Lord say, call her because I want to do something for her. 
He offered her in the natural what he thought he could do, getting her an audience with the king or the captain of the army. That wasn't going to meet any of her needs. He says, well, what, what can I do for her? And the instant that he's told that she's childless, the seed of his heart is conceived. And he says, ah, that's what the father wants to do. And so the blessed man becomes a blessing to the woman. Do you see the the continuum of favor? She honored him. God favored him. He honored her, and God's about to favor her with this baby. What, What is, listen, ultimately, it's God doing all the heavy lifting, right? God's doing all the heavy lifting, but he's not doing it independently of two human agents who want to love each other, bless each other, honor each other, and favor each other. And so what happens, yeah, there's, I'm just getting revelation on this. Well, what happens is this. God's doing this stuff all the time. When does it become a reality? When you step into the flow of it. When you step into this that he is always doing. Could it be that we're not experiencing favor because we haven't surrendered to be agents of favor on somebody else's life? Could it be that we're not experiencing uh, some of the blessing of God that we know the Scripture speaks to because we're waiting to be blessed before we become a blessing? Now, now let me just ask you a simple question. The whole of the Christian life, the just shall walk by faith. So what we do as believers is we are continually growing in faith. Do you know what that requires? You continually being confronted with unknowns. That is the way God grows our faith. He introduces us into the next unknown. And so we're constantly being presented with situations, circumstances, opportunities that in the natural we may not feel compelled to do, but we sense grace on it or God on it, and we say, I'm going to step into this. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to be yielded. I'm going to give honor before I worry about receiving all of that. You see, friends, if he gives us everything first, In our mind, it becomes a bartering arrangement. He gave me something, now I'm bound to do something for him. But when we step out in love, expecting nothing but the blessing of obedience, when we step into that flow, all of a sudden, we step into something that he's been doing all along. We just weren't experiencing it because we were on the outside looking in. Elisha and this woman serve as an amazing human example of what happens when we serve God by serving others. So let's get back to the story, and then I'm going to call the worship team up in about five minutes. Here's the end of this chapter in her life, and we're going to meet the little boy, by the way. There's an uh, an incredible story that surrounds his life, but that's not today. She becomes a rewarded woman with an unexpected gift. Her deepest desire touched her deepest doubts. You see, he said, you're going to have a baby. Look at her response. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Now, let's let's catch the spirit of this. She's not saying, you're a liar. She's not rejecting the word. You know what she's saying, right? She's saying, don't mess with me. That's exactly what she said. Don't you mess with me, prophet. Don't, no, no, no. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me? Is it true? Don't mess with me, Elisha. That's the spirit behind it. You know why? Because it's what she's always wanted. She's a lady that's wanted her baby her whole life. So, Jeff, how do you know that? Well, why else did God give the word? And why else did she respond to this? See, she had gone a long time and nothing had ever happened. But isn't this amazing? In the midst of her not getting what she wanted from God all of these years, she didn't lose her desire to be a blessing to others. Wow. You see, he had withheld that thing for however long. She had never gotten it, but she didn't get bitter. She didn't get sour. She didn't begrudge it. A lot of people, when they don't feel like they're getting blessed, they start self-blessing. Their life becomes about taking care of me. I'm going to make sure I get what I want out of life. I'm not going to give. You know, and envy creeps in, and jealousy creeps in, and discontent creeps in. Not this sister. She was just looking to bless Elisha anyway. And then on the back end of it, he's saying, you're going to get what you want. You're going to get what you want. She said, in essence, she's saying, it sounds so good. Is it too good to be true? Please don't mess with me, Elisha. And so look at the last verse. 
Elisha's greatest gift brought her greatest joy. But the woman conceived. And she bore a son about that time the following spring. Note this, as Elisha had said to her. Supernatural ministry isn't all about ba ba ba. You know, I mean, I think sometimes when we think supernatural ministry, it's almost always visual. So much supernatural ministry from God is actually verbal and audible in the sense of he speaks. God loves to communicate. He is a communicative God. He didn't stop communicating when the canon of Scripture was completed. He will speak primarily through the Bible, which is why we ought to study it, but he doesn't speak exclusively through the Bible. Otherwise, we really don't need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And so he leads and he guides us into all truth. And so the voice of God, the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts being enacted through the body to build up the body. And some of these words are verbal, prophetic words, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. That's supernatural ministry that God chooses to use in order to bring revelation to our lives and sometimes answers to prayers. And so Elisha, when he says, you're going to, I do, forgive me if this sounds carnal, but I wonder after, you know, sometimes you give a word, man. You give a word. You give a prophetic word. You feel grace on it. You're, you're, you're like, yeah, man, that was God. All right. And you give a word. I wonder if in like six months he's going downstairs, he's looking at her stomach. <laughs> she ain't pregnant yet. Good night. Goes back, you know, I wonder if he second-guessed it at all. Eventually, the baby bump appears. Eventually the baby appears. Eventually, that word of knowledge manifested in the first cries of a messy baby that had just come out of the womb. And God says, there, that's my favor. That's my blessing. You stepped into it first, daughter. Elisha stepped into it second. But I superintended the whole thing because that's what I do. Your life my life, connected to other lives intentionally by the Father so that he might pour blessing and favor through us. He may be seeking to bless you right now through the life of another. You need to be as humble as Elisha, the man of God, to receive it. You also might be the one he's setting up to step into that flow first, to say, I'm going to show favor to this person or to these people and I'm going to do it because I sense the Father's heart on it. Be bold, be brave. Don't do it conditionally. Do it because it's right, and do it because you know that's the heart of the Father. Leave the back end of the um, experiment, if you want to call it that. Leave the back end of it to him. Your job and my job is to say, Jesus, you're the giver. You're my master and my savior. And if you live in me, it's impossible for me to live without being a giver too. Let me be a blessing to another. That's how we build up each other, through blessing. May it become epidemic in this house. Amen.